Hello and welcome to Little Things with Amber L.B. Swenson. Today is our second episode in the series titled, The Longest Road, Grieving the Loss of a Child. We understand this series may not be easy to listen to, so if child loss is too much for you right now, please take a break from Little Things and listen to one of the other podcasts from Time of Grace. Time of Grace doesn't shy away from tough subjects because we know some of you are on this painful journey. Today, we'll hear from Debbie Enter. Whether you choose to listen or know you can't, please take care and know God sees and loves you. Some of you know Pastor John from our Grace Talks videos and the podcasts. He's part of our Time of Grace team. Today, I'd like to introduce you to his wife, Debbie Enter. Pastor John and Debbie have been married for 20 years and have four daughters. They lived in Florida for 14 years, then moved to the tundra, aka <laughs> my home state of Minnesota. <laughs> Debbie graduated from Martin Luther College and has taught in a variety of schools and roles, everything from teaching high school composition and literature to first grade in a public school. She's worked with special needs students and homeschooling in a homeschooling firm. Currently, she's a full-time nanny to a six-month-old and a two-year-old. And she also has a blog, which I suggest you check out. I spent a little bit of time on that today. It's called Blessings Through the Stressings. And through is T-H-R-U, by the way. And she's an online seller for a health and wellness company. She enjoys laughing with her family and playing games and cheering for her daughter's sports teams. She and Pastor John also enjoy hosting youth nights in their home. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you. You may not know this, but I'm a creative writing literature major. So I was definitely taken in when you've taught some high school composition and literature <laughs> classes right up my alley. Right. That was 20 years ago. So <laughs> I'm a little rusty now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you spend a lot of time with teens too. So that's kind of the age of my kids and your children are just starting to get into that, that age group, right? Yes. We have a 13 year old and a 14 year old, and then we have a seven and a 10 year old. So they're up and coming <laughs> acting so just like the teenager. <laughs> you're just starting high school next year. Then your oldest is that yes. about the age. Oh, yep. yay. Awesome. Okay. Well, we're going to talk today about your fourth pregnancy. So you had three healthy pregnancies and deliveries what happened during your fourth? Yes. Well, our fourth, um, we had, uh, well, I was, you know, considered old. I was 35 when I would give birth and I was considered, you know, like the, uh, high, uh, high, high high risk, risk. right. High risk. So it was a high risk pregnancy. Um, but you know, everything was good. And then, um, my first ultrasound found out we were going to have twins. And we were like, what? As we were, have, we already had three girls and we thought, how is this? <laughs> the doctors were amazed too. Cause that typically is like an in vitro situation or something like that. And they're like, this is a regular pregnancy, right? Um, so anyway, we were shocked, but pleasantly shocked at that. We were loving the idea, um, of having twins and humbled at the thought that God thought that we were um, capable of such an undertaking after already having three little ones. 
Um, so yes, at 26 weeks, I ended up having some pains and turned out to be, um, uh, appendicitis while pregnant with twins. And so, um, I could talk all day on that situation, but, um, long story short, uh, it took a long time for the doctors to finally agree that they would go ahead and take the appendix out. They had, um, run some tests, uh, um, limited tests because of the babies inside. They didn't want to hurt them or poison them in any way with all the different kinds of testing that they would do. Um, so, um, after, I mean, I was in the hospital at 7:30 AM with mega pains and I just felt like I knew it was my appendix, my appendix. Um, by 4:30 PM, they finally decided that they would take me in and do the surgery. And, um, by then it was kind of too late to do it laparoscopically. They tried and that didn't work because it was too, um, too infected. And so they ended up having the full surgery, but when they pulled the appendix out, the poison from the appendix actually, well, the appendix burst and the poison went into my body. So they had to clean that all out as best they could while having the babies in there and not injuring them. And so, um, all of that happened, but, um, meanwhile, once they woke me up from the surgery, um, you know, they wake you up and they ask you what your name is, what day it is. Do you remember why you're here? And, um, when this is the hard part, <laughs> when the she asked me a question and I answered three of them. I remember. And then she moved my arm as I was just opening my eyes. And then as she moved my arm, I felt a different sensation and all of a sudden my whole body went numb. So the, the paralytic from the surgery had gone back into my body mm. and, um, I figured, I thought that if I could just touch, you know, like move my finger, they would, they would be able to see that there was a problem. <laughs> my finger, yeah. my other hand was on, under the blanket. So they wouldn't have even seen it, but I just kept trying to move my finger. And meanwhile, I was, I was completely paralyzed. I could not breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, she had also, when she moved my arm, had looked away from me after she had asked me that question. And, um, anyway, I was just like, just look at me, you know, and and in my own head, I could, I was still, you know, able to hear things and try and think things. And, um, anyway, they, um, they, I finally had just said, um, I, I saw a big flash that of, of capital letters that said God, and it said it three times, God, 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 like me yelling out to him. And then a picture of my husband in the other corner of my head and my, in my mind. And I, and I just said, God, if you, if you're ready, take me, just take care of my family. Mm. And it was at that moment that I heard the anesthesiologist in the room, figure it all out. And, um, I had just, I had relaxed. I wasn't trying anymore. 
and um, had given myself over to God. And I heard her feet actually walk. She must have been wearing high heels that day. I heard her walk away from the, from the bed to the other side of the room. And I heard her say, not today, guys, not on my watch. This is not happening today. And, um, I mean, the next thing I knew they had something on my face and I was able to breathe again. And I came back and I could talk and now I didn't go to heaven. I didn't see Jesus or any beautiful lights or anything amazing, but um, I, I have to say all of that because the next day when um, I was in the recovery room, the anesthesiologist came in or she was the anesthetist. She came in to my room, which she does not have to do the next day. And she came to check on me and she said, I know that you must be a believer. She said, I have struggled all my life with knowing if there is a God, my parents have gone to church and they've dragged me along and they, I have struggled all my life asking, is there really a God? And she said yesterday in that room, I know your God was there. Hmm. And I, I say all that because I just feel like if all of that pain and trauma had to happen for one person, just one person to know that there is a God, yeah, it was all for a great reason. Wow. What a beautiful testimony that she could come on the other side of that and realize that there was someone more that was watching over you at that moment. And the other thing that I'm thinking about is your poor husband, like he, (laughs) he was not only, you know, no doubt worrying and praying for your children, but worrying and praying for his wife, right. You know, it could have gone very differently that day, especially if your appendix had already burst. I mean, that it's very easy to become septic. And especially when you're pregnant already, it could have been a very different story altogether. Right. Yeah. So even on that, and he had, was supposed to preach that night at five o'clock. And, um, so he had just left the hospital to go get everything set up. So someone else could just read his sermon. And so he was gone when they decided to take me in. So I was able to talk to him. I I told him I'm not going in there until I get a phone call. And he prayed with me over the phone and he didn't, wasn't obviously then able to see me until afterwards. And when I, I woke up, I was like, I need my husband right now. I need my husband. And he came in and I said, did they tell you I, I quit breathing. And he's like, I need details. (laughs) He was, he, he, you know, and then he was my advocate to find out what actually happened, what was going on in there. Um, so yeah, now there, there was always a song on the radio that talked about breathe, just breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny Diaz, I think. Yep. Yes. Um, that is what he, like, it was our song for a long time. And like, obviously now I still have like, just speaking about it. Like I have a PTSD issue over not being able to breathe and, um, sometimes feeling like suffocating feeling even at night, like I'll wake up in the middle of the night and um, gasp for air. Cause I'm thinking that yeah. I'm paralyzed again. So, Oh my. So coming <laughs> out of the surgery, were the babies okay? 
directly out. Yep. I stayed in the hospital for three or four days, all cloudy. Um, and they were being monitored. And I know that the nurses were all just like, they would glance at the papers, the, the heartbeats and things like that. Um, nothing was ever any part of an issue. They just, they sent me home with like, you know, like you're healed. You're good. They never put me on bed rest. They never told me to be careful ever. It was yeah. all just like, okay, good. You made it through. You're on your way home. I so mean, I, I didn't know recover. something was wrong. Uh, did I know something was wrong? When did you find out something was wrong? Okay. Um, so two weeks later we had a good routine. My mom was in town um, to help me. I couldn't quite move as much because I had to have the regular surgery for the appendectomy. Um, I had little ones in school. So she came to help out. And um, we thought in, in two weeks we had a ultrasound. So I thought, how fun would it be? My mom was in town. She's from Wisconsin. I lived in Florida. She had never been around for any of my other appointments for all my, all my other kids. And so she, I was like, you got to come with us to the ultrasound appointment and see the babies. And it was at that time when uh, the doctor like had this quiet about him and just said, we need you to go to see some, uh, oh my goodness, it's called um, the pediatric cardiologist. Um, We need you to go right away. And we're like, what happened? So it was two weeks after the surgery. and the only answer they can give us is that one of the, or some of the poison had gotten into um, one of the babies. There, there were twins, but they were in separate um, sacks, right? So one boy, one girl. And so it affected one, but not the other. So we were off to the pediatric cardiologist um, immediately. And he seemed pretty calm about it. He was like, okay, it was a heart thing. There was something wrong with his heart. Um, But if all the parts are there, everything should be fine. Um, It'll just give, you know, we'll just need to do some sort of therapy to help out. So he's like, come back in about two weeks. And we thought, oh, okay, two weeks. This isn't that dire. We're okay. And that was on, uh, I think, a Tuesday. And then, um, so Wednesday he, no, uh, so Thursday was Thanksgiving and, uh, we were, I was just taking it easy. I put myself on bed rest. Actually, my husband put me on bed rest and sat well, like chair rest. We went to a friend's house for Thanksgiving. I sat there. We laughed a lot. We had a good old time. And then, um, the um, Friday morning, the doctor called and said, I have some therapy for you. I think we, we can do something right away. You got to get in here as soon as possible. So that afternoon we went over to the, to his office. And that's when we found out that there was no activity at all in his, in his sack. So that's when we got the news. So um, from a two week appointment date to two days later, three days later, um, there was no activity. Oh man, how devastating. <laughs> so you went through the rest of your pregnancy. You did give birth early. 
Uh, yeah. So we, everything is a little hazy. Of course we had an, um, a C-section. Okay. We had a C-section planned on February 25th and, um, Maggie was born and MJ was born on, um, January 17th. Okay. So quite early, but the doctors had even my regular doctor. She never put me on bed rest. She always said, Oh, we're just going to treat it. Like it's a singleton. Like I had a deceased baby and a live baby inside at the same time. And they didn't really, <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of like bugging out at, uh, how does this work? How, like at some point, you know, like if you had a singleton and you had a miscarriage that can happen naturally, the body naturally rejects. Right. Um, right. And so, um, I was really concerned, but I, um, had searched high and low online. Like, I don't know if it was kind of before, like blogs are really a big deal. Um, it was hard to find, but I found something, one lady who said that she had a similar situation. I, I didn't know how I was supposed to feel like there's two babies inside, but only one living. And I like, how, how, like there was talk about, um, you can take one out by surgery and leave the other one in. And how would this, how does, how does this make me feel? I didn't know how to feel. Um, but this lady in the, in that blog had mentioned that she had gone through the same thing and it was an amazing calm and, um, to my, to my brain that, the most people, when you have a deceased family member or friend, you are dealing with funeral arrangements and, um, all of the, all, all of the emotions of the loss. And in three days, four days, it's over. You have this funeral and it's, everything is done and over and your friend or family member is gone and you can't see them anymore and you can't be with them anymore. And you like in, in my instance, in our family, we were able to carry MJ much longer, another seven weeks, although he was inside me dead, right? but he was still with us. So we went through, um, the holidays together. We, that was, it happened Thanksgiving and, um, we went through Christmas. We went through new year's, we went through my birthday and they both came in January. And so, um, we found it to be a, a blessing to be able to have him still with us and deal with the emotions while he was still with us. And, um, eventually, um, once he came, we did have him cremated. So we still have him with us. We have a little shelf that we, um, have a couple little mem mem memory, uh, things there and pictures of his ultrasound and, um, little gifts that people have given us. And, and that's just in a room. So he's just always with us. So you must have had pretty conflicting emotions happening on the day that you did give birth. Cause on the one hand you have the joy of the birth of your daughter, but on the other hand, you are grieving your son. 
So how did you navigate those very different emotions at that time? Right. So um, when it all happened um, and it was announced, you know, at church, my husband, the pastor, so everyone knows us and we just, we didn't uh, keep it to ourselves at all. We just reached out for prayers immediately. Um, It was interesting to see the devastation from other people. And how we felt like we were consoling them. And um, I think that just like, it it just meant like we were all in it together. It was just an amazing support system. Yeah, that's the way the body of Christ is supposed to be, right? Right. So um, just knowing that we had that support was was amazing. Again, like we were able to just, uh, we, we carried him for so long. Um, once they were born, it was, it was difficult, but Maggie was in the NICU for 15 days. And so coming home without a baby was odd. Um, in NICU, we saw, um, other twins that were surviving. So, you know, but happy for them that they didn't have to go through our pain, but still like holding on to their lives. Right. Cause they were so little and, uh, and, and had been born early. Um, but yeah, we've, we had, we did have some people who, um, you know, a knee jerk reaction, right. When, um, we, we already had three daughters and, you know, we had one boy, as the twin and the other was the girl. And we'd have people kind of, kind of jump at it and be like, Oh, why couldn't I have been the boy that survived? Oh and, man. And it's kind of like, well, oh. you're right. But you know, cause you know, everyone thinks that perfect family, you have to have one of each or you have to have the variety and, um, you know, oh my goodness, if we, um, we don't know what we lost in MJ, cause we never got to see his personality or anything. We definitely love him and miss him terribly, but what blessing we would miss if we had lost Maggie yeah. and uh, obviously we'd have MJ and, and his blessing, but it, you know, like it, we can't hold it against anyone though for saying something like that because if you're not putting if you don't have experience in those situations you know people just want to say something and that's just what comes to mind I suppose for some people so um yeah (laughs) uh we just we it, it you know like at least you have one that you could come home with was another one well there's it, there's no at least for anything. No. Um, there, it, that's not very comforting either. But um, yes, I'm I glad that you're that. bringing this up. Actually, <laughs> one of the big reasons that I'm doing this series there's there's a couple of reasons. One is to to provide comfort and hope for people who are going through this right now, mm-hmm. or who have also gone through this devastating loss. Um, but another thing is to sort of educate the body of Christ. Like, how can we do this differently and how, what are some things that we say that may not be as comforting as we think, or in fact might hurt, you know, if we say those things and and you're hitting the nail right on the head about, you know, these things that people say, 
And I know what, I know what you mean in terms of people just want to say something, but sometimes the best thing you can do is just be there and not say anything. <laughs> like instead right. of saying the wrong thing, you just have to be in the room. You know, you just have to be in the room crying or, or send the card or send the text, you know, that I'm praying for you and I'm thinking of you and mm-hmm. man, I'm bringing a meal on Thursday. Like that's all you need to do <laughs> Like beyond yes. that. If you really don't know what to say, you, you don't have to fill the void by saying something, which may be the wrong thing. Right. Right. Just, yes. I just know. I, I think a lot of people also think that if we bring it up, we'll make her cry. If we bring it up, it'll remind her, but we want people to remember it validates his existence if we talk about him. And so we want people to ask. Um, we just met someone new at church, um, a a few weeks ago and he, he said, okay, I think I know. I think, I I think I've seen you with, with four girls, you have four daughters and, and well, I also nanny for two. And so I had taken them into the school at one point or for a, for a Wednesday night church service. And so I had six and he was like, wait a second. I thought that you only had four. And so anyway, we got to talking since we had never really met him before. He's like, so, you know, something about the boy, you know, and um, there are just different times when we go, do we expand or mm-hmm. do we not expand and just let it go? Um, in this case, because it was in a church situation, we told him because we want people in our circle to know who we are and what has formed us. And so um, he asked about it. We'll give him that answer. And that is his education to maybe not say something next time to someone else or for his education to be like, like, maybe this is, this is good information to know how I can support you. Um, so, and he, he took it well, but that at first he was very like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, like, I don't really want to know any more about it, but we expanded and we we're like, no, we want to tell you, we want to share this yeah. with you because we want, we want people to know in order to remember and validate that it happened. Yeah. So tell us about MJ's name and how did you choose it? Um, well, first I'd have to tell you about Maggie's name. (laughs) Um, it kind of was a roundabout. Um, so when I I was sleeping, we didn't even know if it was boys or girls, they were totally healthy. We were, you know, early in the pregnancy. Um, and I just sat up middle of the night, sat up and just blurted out Maggie Rose. And I just thought, okay, well, I don't even know if there's a girl in there, but all right. Maggie Rose is one of them. One of the names it's just going to have to be. I really loved it. I've never thought of Maggie as a name for any of our other girls. Um, we did, we do have a a lady in our Florida congregation whose name is Rose and she was like grandma Rose to all the, all of our girls. And so Rose was perfect, uh, for the middle name, but I was like, how would I get John to agree with Maggie? How can we make this work? And cause I have to love it and own it before I suggest it. So, um, we, I, I figured like Margaret could be a full name and Maggie could be a really good, uh, nickname with, from Margaret. And so I was like, okay, my grandma's name is Margaret. I'm liking this. Um, my husband's middle name, um, his, sorry, his mom's middle name is Margaret. 
So I was like, oh, we can make this work. So we'll name her Margaret, call her Maggie. Um, and he totally loved it. Totally loved it. So um, then once we found it, we never talked about other names at all um, until we found out that it's a boy and a girl. And so um, I, I think in the, well, in the past, we had not told anyone our names before they were born. We always had nicknames for them uh, to talk about them in front of everyone. Um, but in this case, once we found out that MJ was sick and we didn't know if we would be able to um, ever use his name, we wanted to share with everyone. And so I think um, we had, we had made a final decision after we had gotten, gotten the news that his heart was bad. Um, but I think we had must, we had must've talked about it beforehand, but, um, I had said my, I, I'd always wanted my, my grandpa's name to be my first son, but I was never really a fan of the name. So when I mentioned it to my husband, um, I was a little nervous because I didn't think he'd buy it, but I said, I, I, his name is Martin, but I'm not sure if we would call him Marty or Martin. I already have an uncle Martin. Um, could we make Martin work? And my grandpa and I were, I mean, he passed away when I was seven. So, um, I don't have a lot of experience with him, but I remember us being real tight and he was super funny. We called him our goofy grandpa. And so I really want to just honor him in, someday having a son and calling, calling him Martin, but I didn't know what his name, what nickname would be. And so, um, when I mentioned it to my husband, he said, Oh, well, I have an uncle Martin and I loved him. And he was his, he was a great influence on me as, as a Christian man. And he was always involved in the church. And I think that'd be a really great name for us to, to consider. And I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm going to get a Martin as my son's name. And, um, our tradition is that our firstborn would have the first name as uh, like the parent first name as the child's middle name. So I have a violet Deborah. And so Martin would be Martin Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And because we didn't know if we would call him Martin, Martin or Marty, I said, Hey, I have three girls already with the fourth one on the way. We're going to have a man's man and he's going to be very athletic. He's going to be into sports. He's going to know all the superheroes. We're going to, we can call him MJ. And so MJ became our name for, for Martin Jonathan. Wow. Very good. That's a neat story. <laughs> you guys talk so openly about this and you've sort of mentioned that part of it is validating the experience and keeping MJ's memory alive. Is there other reasons that you've chosen to really make a point of telling your story? Yes. I think that, um, child and infant loss is, is so much more common than a lot of people think. Um, and, and the people who have never, gone through the pain really have no idea. And they admit that they know that they don't have, they don't have the knowledge and experience behind it. Um, but 
I think that the people who have gone through it sometimes feel shame and for whatever reason, oh, I should have eaten this way. I should have done this instead. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have done X, Y, Z, whatever. Um, there's, there's some sort of shame or guilt that is involved, but it can be just that it just happened. It's just yeah. God's will for it to have happened. And, and so I think talking about it just helps validate that it had, that there was a child. It doesn't have to be hidden. It, it, there, it shows like the extra heart, um, that you can have behind other motives and, um, or the pain it can, it, it shows that, you know, everyone deals with it in different ways. And, um, there's, you know, unfortunately the loss of a child can cause, um, breakups, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of pain within families. And so if we can share the story that it's, that we've been through it and you can get through it too. And, um, build more of a community around it, I think, uh, and which I think is growing more and more. Um, but I think it's just, a, it, it's just so important to let other people know that they're not alone. So how have you and Pastor John stayed on the same page? Do you guys grieve in different ways or have you really sort of found yourself grieving the same? Um, well, definitely different ways. Uh, the, you know, when it first all happened, we just cried constantly. I remember the, I remember the day he finally just told me, he's like, wow, I, I don't think I cried today. We figured out it was 40 days. And, um, then I'm just like, but what if, if I don't cry, does that mean I don't care anymore? And like, I've forgotten about him. I'm the worst mom. And like, but no, it's, uh, yeah. So we, we cried a lot. Um, I had, um, I just felt like I would be closer to him if I could talk to him, you know, uh, my son. Um, and so I started a journal and which I've never been able to keep before. I've, I've always tried, you know, high school, college, like dear journal, whatever, like, who am I writing to? And am I ever going to read this again? And what do I need to record this for? Why am I writing? So I would last a day or two and I'd throw the notebook, you know, off to the side and pick it up months or years later and be like, Oh yeah, I should probably start this journal back up, you know, but, but what was the point? There was no point. And so this time I was like, I just feel like I have so much to say. I have so much to say. And so I just started writing and, um, I, I thought, well, if I'm going to spend this much time with my son in this journal that no one's going to ever read, um, I'm going to spend some time when in God's word first. And so I picked up a really, really good habit of reading devotion first thing in the morning, straight from the Bible. It was not even devotion book, just reading from the Bible and meditating on that and praying constant um, for quite some time. And then I would open up my journal and start writing all my thoughts to my son. And so um, I did that. I have several all blue journals, all written in blue pen. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I have a lot of pink in the house. And so I thought those, that's where I can put my blue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did that. John did not, I mean, he, he did devotions in the mornings and stuff too, but, um, that there were days where I would, I would be busy 
run out of time or wake up late and not be able to write in my journal. And I thought, oh my goodness, then that means I forgot about him. And I look like the worst mom ever because that date wasn't written in there in the, in that notebook. And I, I'd ask him questions like, why am I doing this? Why am I writing? Why am I so built up around like having to write to him? Is it bad if I don't write? And he's like, take a break. Don't stress yourself out. You're not a bad mom for it. So, uh, he was a little more laid back and just like more forgiving about, you know, just going about your daily business without having to, uh, connect every day with that journal. Um, and once it, it was about five years, I did it straight. Mm-hmm. Now I, I barely ever missed a day. Um, and then well, we moved to Minnesota. Life got a little busier and I found myself, I just know I hadn't picked it up. And at first started very guilty feelings about it. And then realized like, I'm good. I'm really good at where I'm at. I can go about my day, gave my permission, gave myself permission to go through my day, having him on my mind and in my heart without connecting to that journal every day and tying myself to the stress of that. Um, So uh, that's how I grieved. I think um, John and I decided that right from the start, we were going to talk about it with our girls. We were going to let our emotions be felt. Um, if there's something on the TV that comes up, if there's someone in the store that happens, you know, whatever, um, twins, uh, we see twins all the time. Now it's funny. We see them all the time. Like if we see them feel the emotions, say hi to them or ignore them, whichever ones we feel at that moment, feel it. And, um, so we had promised that we were not going to keep it hidden. We were going to talk it out. Um, I honestly don't know if he cries secretly, um, on his own. There are different times and we'll see something on TV and we'll just kind of have a knowing look to each other and I'll probably cry. And he'd be like, it's okay. (laughs) You can cry it out. And my girls will come at first. They would look at me and like, are you crying again? (laughs) And then, uh, sometimes now, especially Maggie will come and just give me a loving hug and be like, it's okay, mommy, you know? So <laughs> she's our, he- our hug healer. She, she is a huge blessing in our lives. So what are some of the kindest things that people have done for you? Well, first of all, right after this happened or, but even since, what are some of the kindest and best things that people have done? Um. <clears throat> So when it first, well, we, we did get meals upon meals upon meals delivered to our house for, I don't even know how long it was a long time. Um, maybe a month, like every other day, even our neighbors who were not tied to our church, um, would bring over tea and, um, and certain meals, um, which we so much appreciated. Um, uh, we had des- decided that um, the, the twins bedroom were going to be in superhero because like I said, we we're going to have a man's man and we were going to do some boy stuff. And so Maggie was going to have like this um, pink and silver um, Superman emblem and MJ would have like the regular red and red and blue Superman. And so, well, since that 
never needed to happen, we decided that Superman would still be a part of our lives. And so when he, he passed away on November 28th, and so now every 28th of the month, we wear Superman, uh. a Superman t-shirt, or we put Superman on our social media or things like that. Um, and so, uh, and then every November 28th, we do a little bit bigger where we, uh, our family gets a new Superman t-shirt and, um, people will send us, like, I've asked for people to send like MJ's name written in a creative way. So I had some written in Christmas lights once. Um, I had, I had it written in, um, the sand, um, we've had it written in Legos or leaves or palm fronds and lots of different, a big variety of, of things that, um, people did for us right away. That first November 28th was pretty amazing. Um, since then it's dwindled down. It's our reality. It's our every day, but not everybody else's. And we don't expect everyone to always remember that. But, um, John now shares this story with his seniors in class with the point of, of sharing your faith and being bold about, about your faith. And so in telling the story, he shares the November 28th Superman. And so one, um, one year, a group of seniors, um, arranged for the November 28th to, it happened to fall on a school day that all the seniors, um, like 110, maybe 110 of them, uh, wore some form of Superman. So they either had Superman t-shirt or they had a Superman button or a Superman sticker. And, um, I, they had asked my permission for that too. So I brought Maggie in with her Superman dress on with her Cape and I came in with the Superman shirt. So we got a big group picture on that one too. It's just very supportive of the students to, to think about that on their own. It was, it was completely student student planned. Um, we've also connected with other families through his grace talks. Um, he shared the story on grace talks. And so other families have, um, contacted us and asked us how, you know, for some advice and how we've gotten through it. And we've shared the Superman story and how we remember, you know, remember him on every 28th. And so now, um, one family in particular, they, um, have a dinosaur day, a dino day. And so our family now has dinosaurs, uh, that we wear or, um, little figurines and we'll take pictures of the, of us with our dinosaur things and send it to them on their day. And they will send us their picture. They got Superman t-shirts and they send pictures of them, of them wearing them for us on our day. And so like, it's just the, the constant support of just knowing like you are not alone. Yeah. We're in this yeah. together. We've done this. We've been through it. We feel your pain too. We want to support you in that. So it's just been a, it's been a good support system. Yeah, for sure. How have you changed from this experience? Oh, um, I'm definitely humbled. My, uh, other three pregnancies were pretty basic. Um, I felt like I could keep going. I didn't work back then. Um, mm-hmm. I was able to just, uh, you know, uh, I worked with, with the first one, but the school year was ended before, um, I, I was too far along. And so, um, I, I feel like I could, I, I was just going and going and going to right up until birthdays. And, um, 
so with this pregnancy, when, um, when I was put on my own bed rest, uh, it was <laughs> specifically, there was a, a day at the fair. It was actually the night before Maggie and MJ were born. Um, I was in a wheelchair, but I don't get huge. Even with the twins, I was not huge. Um, a huge belly or anything. And I, I was on a wheelchair, so I wouldn't have to walk the whole fair. And I, I honestly couldn't have any way it would have been too much for me, but, um, but it, it did not look like I needed a wheelchair. Um, and I, and I kept thinking how people probably thought that I was so wimpy that I'm in a wheelchair and, um, like, why would I need to do that? And I, I just thought, well, if, if, I think people are thinking that that must mean what I think that about others. I might be thinking that about them. Like there's, you know, oh, you can do so much more that, you know, like, I, I just realized that it's not about what's on the outside. It's everything that I was dealing with was all on the inside. No one could see my pain and so I just had to, I I'm very, I like take a step back and don't speak. <laughs> don't even yeah. think of those ill thoughts because it's, um, it, it is their story. And if they can't handle, uh, X, Y, Z, then take it at their value and, and believe them that that's how they're, you know, they're, that they're yeah. dealing with something internally, maybe. Um, so it definitely has humbled me. Um, but just uh, again, like having gone through the experience and just like being able to share more kindness for, um, for others or not being, not saying something like you said earlier, like in, in the loss of a loved one, just being there Mm -hmm. and, remembering that there was a loved one, um, just being a good friend and just, just trying to keep all those friendships strong through connection and, and talking about it. So for your family, even in your bio, you know, laughing is such a huge part (laughs) of what's important to you guys. And you Mm -hmm. seem like, again, I don't know you firsthand. I've never met you in person and but I followed your husband on Facebook for a long time and you seem like there's so much happiness in your family. So how have you guys managed to find joy in the midst of the grief? Right. So we, we spend so much time thinking about how special we can keep MJ in our lives. We also have to remember we have four living daughters that are amazing. They're healthy and beautiful. If I must say so myself, um, they, we have, we have joy in them. Um, we're, we're thankful to our God for giving us four healthy babies. Um, we, it is a fine line though, like of trying to remember MJ and trying to make sure everyone else is also remembered, right? Like we just, we, we spend so much time grieving or, um, what if, but, um, right in front of us, we have these amazing blessings. And so, um, 
yeah, we, we just, we, we find joy in the Lord that he has given us some healthy kids and we, we, we got to enjoy what we have. Just, we just love our kids. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. You had mentioned that many people do break up from this. That's one of the things you said when things got rough and, and you said that you and John grieve differently was there something specific or were there specific things that you did that held you guys together? I don't, I don't think there was ever really an option. It was never, I mean, we were just always on the same page. I remember talking to him and saying how, um, I'm just so glad, um, certain things. Um, I had, I had researched about what causes an appendectomy, uh, appendicitis, what, uh, what causes a baby to have heart problems in the womb and, uh, it, uh, everything that I had said, like, uh, an appendectomy could be, um, caused by eating popcorn and a kernel gets stuck and infected. Well, that night that I got sick for, uh, and, and knew I needed a doctor, we had made popcorn and I took a whole handful of it and I put it in my hand and I was like, why would I eat this? I don't even want it. And I put it back and I didn't eat it. If I had eaten that, even if it's true or not true, I would have always blamed myself for having eaten popcorn when I didn't even want it. Why would I have even eaten it? And then that's probably because the appendicitis that's what caused MJ's death. And I would have been to blame. And, um, my husband was very reassuring in the fact that he, he said, even if you had eaten it, I would not blame you. He was not that it's just God's will for it to happen. He wouldn't have blamed me. Um, I, I never drank coffee at all during pregnancy. Well, that is one of the, the things that could have um, been caused in a heart issue with babies, uh, apparently is what I read. And I, I'm just like, I'm so glad I never gave into the temptation to have a cup of coffee because then I would have blamed myself. There were so many things that I could have done. There are other things too, but um, he just reassured me over and over again that I would never have blamed you. This is it this, this just happened. It's just God's will for it to have happened. Um, it just was never a, a, a thought that we would ever, that anything would come between us. We spent a lot of time just together, just crying, not saying anything. Um, just kind of like in bewilderment of what is happening to us. Why would, why would this happen? But never, never an angst between the two of us at all just a closeness. We, we did devotions together a lot. Um, I think we did that beforehand too. So maybe just being strong in God's word throughout our marriage has just kept us strong through the difficult time too. So what scriptures particularly have spoken to you or helped you through the pain? So it was very fortunate. Um, John had just done, um, a whole sermon series on Job just before the appendectomy situation. And, um, I just hold on to that. I mean, it could have been so much worse. 
uh, I could have, you know, and the, and the girls, we all talk very openly about, you know, what if I had passed away, the twins wouldn't have made it, or if the twins had survived, where would you guys be right now? What would life be like? And thankfully we don't, ha- we don't go too deep into it because we don't have to. So with Job, uh, having lost everything, his, his finances and his children, his wife even turned against him. Um, we just know that I, I just hold on to that. It could have been so much worse. And we have, um, we have four, again, four beautiful daughters that just bring us such joy and are able to do so many things together. So, um, it brings me comfort to know that although MJ was taken away from us, God had a plan and God is always with us. He had he, his plan. If we can tell this story and it helps encourage one person, if it helps bring one person to faith, um, I, I know a lady who said, um, I told the story to, and she goes, Ooh, I have chills. And I'm a firm believer that when you feel it, when you feel it in the chills, that it must be true. She's an unbeliever. But if this is a little seed that has been planted because of the story I was able to tell her, it was all done for the right reasons. It was all we, we accept it. We, we say, we can clearly say it is well with my soul. It is well, we accept it. We are content and we're, we're fine. We know, although our son was not able to be born live and baptized. We're confident that he's in heaven. Yeah. Because the nights that I was pregnant with him and he was alive, we prayed every night. We had devotion every morning. We went to church every weekend, sometimes more than once. Um, and, and babies can hear in the womb. And so we're very confident that, he, that we will see him one day. Debbie, were you ever angry with God when you went through this? I was not. I just wondered why. Yeah. But I, some people don't get to know that answer, but I feel like I do. I don't know specific answers, but I know that this story reaches someone I know that it can help bring people to faith or be stronger in their faith, but I was never angry, not a chance. I just feel like closer to God because my son is with him. That's amazing. So what do you say to those who have lost a child? I know that you have had people reach out to you. Um, There are people that are going to hear you today who you'll probably never meet. What would you say to those people? You're not alone. 
And I'd also say that um, it is painful. It is hard. But like a good friend told me, you never have to be expected to get over it. It's your story. You don't have to get over it. You can, by the grace of God, get through it. But you do not ever have to get over it. That's really good advice. That's really good advice. Um, when I interviewed Mary Jo Trotter, she said, um, don't try to fix my brokenness because you can't. Right. You know, it's not something that, oh, it, we're all done now. We're, we're all fixed up. And <laughs> so it's all done and go on. It, it is your story. Like you said, it is part of who you are and that pain is with you. But you know, in your case, in many Christians' cases, they're using this pain to try to encourage and support others and to remind them that there is a God and we have a hope right. that goes beyond this life. Well, thank you for your willingness to talk to us today and for um, sharing your experience of MJ and your family and your joy in the midst of grief. I'm sure plenty, plenty of people will be encouraged by it. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. A huge thanks to Debbie Enter for taking her pain and using it for God's glory. Debbie mentioned their story has helped others going through the same painful journey. In the episode notes, you can find a link to a video about one of those families and the healing that Pastor John's testimony helped them find. Next week, we're going to turn a corner and talk to Cheryl Cowling from Christian Family Solutions. She's going to give us advice on navigating through the tough stuff. And if even a part of you was wondering how I kept from breaking down during these interviews, because I was certainly crying hard as I re-listened to them. I'll have that answer for you in two weeks when my producer, Nia, interviewed me for a behind the scenes. In the meantime, take care and God bless.